this is why I, I call seller finance and creative finance kind of two of the same because there isn't set rules on how you do it. So when you do conventional financing with a bank, if you do a primary home loan, you know, the lowest you can go conventional primary is 5%. If you do an FHA, three and a half percent. Generally speaking, the longest payment amortization schedule is going to be 30 years. There might be different programs like 10 to one arms, 20 year loans, but with seller and creative finance, you make the rules. And it's really just whatever the agreement you can make with the seller. There's no governing agency. Welcome to the Short-Term Rental Pros Podcast. Knowledge, experiences, and actionable takeaways from those who are killing it with short-term rentals. Here's your host, Jeremy Warden. What's up, guys? We are live with the Short-Term Rental Pros Podcast, and today we've got a very important episode. I'm joined by my buddy, Ryan. Ryan, learn like a CPA. And we're going to demystify seller financing today. And you know, you guys know why seller finance is so important? Well, 8% interest rates. That's really why. And there's another option out there, one that Ryan himself has leveraged before. And he's also been very, very, very smart and strategic about using the tax situation of sellers to get the desired deal that he's looking for. So Ryan, for those of you guys who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and let's get into seller finance. Yeah, my name's Ryan. I am a CPA by trades. I studied accounting and finance. I'm not a total nerd, also a athletic junkie. I lift weights all the time, but I have a creative mind. And once I learned how, once I learned to not trade time for money, that's when I went all in on myself and my business and real estate. And I am pleased to announce that I'll never work for somebody else ever again in my life. And I hope to encourage and inspire you to do the same thing. So Ryan, not only is he an accountant, he is a decent basketball player. We'll play at some point so I can, I can tell you if he's good or bad. But right now I'm just going to say he's decent. But what he's really good at is the tax code. And he's had a couple deals, including the house. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, the house that he is currently in, actually correct me if I'm wrong. Is this house, the duplex, did you do uh, seller finance for this one or this maxed out your DTI? So then you had to do it for the next one. This one maxed out my DTI. So I bought the one down the street with seller financing. Yeah. Okay. So, so first of all, for those listening, what is, what is seller finance? Yeah. Seller financing is essentially where the the seller becomes the bank. And so instead of the the buyer or the borrower getting along with the bank to buy the house, the seller and the buyer have a contract with each other that the new owner of the house, the buyer is going to be paying the seller off over a period of time. There's not a set amount of time that you could do seller financing for. It might be state-based, but most of the time a seller finance note is going to be about 10 years long. Got it. So really... And this is why I call seller finance and creative finance kind of two of the same because there isn't set rules on how you do it. So when you do conventional financing with a bank, if you do a primary home loan, you know, the lowest you can go conventional primary is 5%. If you do an FHA, three and a half percent. Generally speaking, the longest payment amortization schedule is going to be 30 years. There might be different programs like 10 to one arms, 20 year loans, 
But with seller and creative finance, you make the rules. And it's really just whatever the agreement you can make with the seller. There's no governing agency. You know, the Franny May, Freddie Mac, I may have just butchered what they're called. They don't, they don't have a database of seller finance deals where they're going through and they're saying, oh my God, Ryan got this, Ryan got this guy to, to give him a 3,000 year loan. Like, oh my goodness, that's just, that's cruelty. They don't, they don't do that. Ryan, have you ever gotten someone to do a, a, a 3,000 year loan? No, I don't think they exist. <laughs> hey, they actually they exist. Ja- Japan they started that. Japan, I think, has a hundred year loan though. No. Oh my it's goodness! Off. It might well, be they, China. They they live yeah. long in Japan. In America, I don't think our uh, our our lifetime expected expectancy is that high. But so, you tell us about that first seller finance deal you did, and how you kind of frankly convinced the seller to to do the deal. Yeah, at the time, you know, you find out that the seller that you bought the original property from, he had more properties to sell. And I told him, I said, well, you know, my my debt to income, which is something we're going to be talking about, is going to be maxed out because I had already bought the one property with my using my W-2. And so generally with a with a bank, a bank's only going to lend you a, about 5x or whatever your W-2 salary is in the form of loan amount. So if I'm making, let's say, 60 grand, which is what I was making at the time, I'm going to be able to borrow about $300,000 total. Well, this property had pretty much capped my debt to income out. And so I wasn't able to qualify for another property, another loan conventionally or through, through a bank. So the only way I was able to buy something else was to use a form of creative financing. And that's when I try to go the seller finance route. Now, on the seller's end, the problem you guys are going to have is a lot of sellers don't understand what creative finance is. And you're going to have to convince them otherwise. And why should they loan? Why should they become the bank? And at this time, what was crazy is we were, we were in 4% interest rate environment at this time. So for me to pull this off was insane. Right now, with sellers, they're starting to be a little bit more open to seller financing. But way back then, it was insanely hard to convince somebody to do seller financing. Yeah. And, and on top of uh, something that we're seeing now commonly, which again, we're trying to kind of, we're comparing creative finance, seller finance, but a lot of sellers are offering two one buy downs in order to entice a buyer to purchase their property, which what a two one buy down is, is essentially they're going to give you a credit in order to make it so like let's say you got a loan pre-approval at eight percent well they're going to give you a credit of of that first year's interest that would equate to two percent of that eight percent so it essentially brings you down to a six percent that first year and then a seven percent that next year so that that is also you know you could call that seller finance creative finance but what we're really talking about today is a seller you know being a bank for the for the mortgage and we're going to talk about specific situations where it's actually beneficial for them. And what you need to do as a buyer is educate them on why it's beneficial. Just for context, I've made two offers today where I presented an offer conventional and I presented an offer seller finance. The conventional offer I presented was very low, very low purchase price, probably below what the appraisal value would be like pretty significantly. Whereas the seller finance option, I said, hey, it's going to be a higher amount, 
but instead of getting paid up front, you're gonna get paid over time. So why would it be beneficial? And that's okay. You know, if you're paying them over time, you need to make them be convinced that being paid over time is more is advantageous for them. Obviously, the higher the higher price itself is one of those things. But also, and this we're gonna get into Ryan's specialty, taxes. You know, if somebody owns a vacation house and they bought it for like two hundred grand, and they sell it for half a million, they're gonna owe taxes on that three hundred thousand dollar gain. So Ryan, let's say this is a hypothetical situation. Let's just say it's just that I own a vacation house in the Poconos. Why I just picked the Poconos, I have no freaking clue, but I did. And let's say I bought it for a quarter million and I want to sell it for a half a million. You're coming in as the buyer. How are you educating me and telling me and kind of making me scared essentially of that quarter million dollar in gain I'm about to show? Or maybe it's a $500,000 gain because I did cost sag and depreciated down to nothing. So I'll flip it on you. I'm the seller. I have this house. How do you approach the conversation with me? Yeah, and it would just be exactly that. I would love to get more context about why the seller is selling in the first place. So one of the things you could do, the first thing that I would do to check to see if I could get some sort of seller financing would be to see how long the seller has owned the property for. And this should be relatively easy. A lot of times in Zillow or Redfin, it'll tell you when it last sold or transacted, but you should be able to look up the property on the county assessor website and determine how long that the current owners own the property for. And so if they've owned it for 10 plus years or 15 years, odds are the debt on it is paid down a lot. And that's going to be one of the important things we're going to talk about in seller financing is typically the seller is going to own the property outright, or if not the whole, you know, almost the whole thing. And so once you understand kind of what the seller situation is, and this might take you having to ask the seller questions of, what are their goals? What do they want to get out of the transaction? You can start to figure out what, how exactly you want to present your offer. So if I'm dealing with a seller that in this case, let's say they have a $300,000 gain on their property and I go to it, I go to him and I say, well, you don't, you don't really want to sell this because you're going to have to pay taxes on $300,000 gain. Let's say the ta his tax rate is 20%. So he's going to get his cash, but he's going to send $60,000 to the government, the 300K multiplied by 20%. With seller financing, you're actually able to spread out the capital gain on the sale over the, the life of the loan. So let's say he commits, I convince him to seller finance it to me over 10 years. Well, instead of ha having to pay $60,000 in taxes in year one, he's going to be, he's going to pay $6,000 a year for 10 years. And then also one of the big aspects, I think Ryan, you, you touched on this or when we were, uh, Ryan and I have been doing a program on how to buy for tax advantages, but also how to buy successfully buy a short-term rental, but then also how to leverage a short-term loophole and offset your W2 or business income with, you know, with the short-term loophole. And we were doing that. We, we were talking about seller finance and Ryan said something that was interesting to me which was like, all right, let's say hypothetically, I'm you know an old guy, I've owned this house for 30 years, then I, I sell it and you know I make that 
500,000. I know I've just, I've been changing the purchase price here in this hypothetical situation. So bear with me, but I, I show that half million dollar gain. Okay. So now I have to pay 20% of that in taxes. And beyond that, now I've got 400,000 post that hundred thousand dollars to uncle Sam. What the hell am I going to do with it? You know, what's, what am I going to, am I going to put it in treasuries and just tie it up for, you know, 10 year treasuries? Like that's, that's what a lot of people do. They'll probably put in 10 year, five year treasuries. Maybe they just put it in a high yield savings account. And what are you getting? What are you getting right now on a 10 year treasury, like 4.95% or something? So you're locking up the money in treasuries. Is, is that your, if that's your best choice, perhaps it's better to say, I'll loan it to you, the buyer at a 6% interest rate. So rather than getting 5% on my money, I'm going to get 6%. Plus it's coming in, it's coming in every month and it's amortized. Cause the thing with treasuries is you're just getting that interest monthly. Am I, am I mistaken in that? Like it's not, treasuries aren't amortized, right? You just get the, the interest from the T-bill. And then after that 10 years, it matures and you can take it all back. Is that, is that correct, yeah, Brian? You get your principal back. Yeah. After 10 years. So essentially you're locking yeah. the money up, getting 5%. At least if you do seller finance, it's, it's amortized. So you're getting legit money. You're getting thousands of dollars every month. So think about that. If you're 70, 60, 70, 80 years old and you want to retire, what's better for you? Putting 400 grand into treasuries that get 5%, which is essentially getting paid $20,000 a year for locking up 400,000? Or do you want an amortized you know, 10, 20, 30 year loan where you're getting thousands of dollars a month? To me, it sounds like a no-brainer. I don't know, Ryan, what your opinion on that is, but if I'm if I'm in that if I'm that avatar, to me, yeah. I'm thinking about retirement. I want thousands of dollars a month, uh, and I want the tax benefits. So if I can get both of them together, there isn't a better option for it. Yeah, and I I explain this to to a lot of my tax clients a lot. Is there's two ways you're going to get burned by selling a house, or if you're if you're sitting on a large gain. Number one, obviously, is Uncle Sam. Because if if I bought that property for two hundred thousand, now it's worth five hundred k. Well, I'm going to pay a three hundred thousand dollar capital gain, so I'm going to lose that sixty grand that we talked about. But not only are you going to kill with Uncle Sam, but you're also going to get killed with inflation. Because if I just hold on to that money that sits in my bank account and I'm not doing anything with it, inflation's going. Inflation, which is a silent tax, by the way, is going to eat away at that capital. So I am better off not hoarding onto the money, but reinvesting the money. Because number one, I'm going to get away from Uncle Sam. And number two, the value of my dollar is not going to be lost to inflation. And so those are the two main killers of wealth, in my opinion, are taxes and inflation. And if you can get around those by some sort of mechanism, if it's if it is seller financing as a seller, you know, that's a creative way for you to take advantage of that. Because again, if you hold on to the cash, you're going to get taxed. And whatever you have left over is going to lose to inflation. You're going to lose out to inflation. Exactly. So it's really, I mean, it's really the best of both worlds, but it's your job as the buyer to educate them on that. Cause frankly, they, they probably don't know, you know, and they're probably like, I mean, I've been, I've been having a lot of conversations with agents, with sellers. And like one of the common things I get from a seller is like, I worked hard to pay off this loan. Like I worked hard, you know, for years and I paid it off. Like, why would I want to be involved in like someone else's debt when I worked so hard to pay off mine? That's something that you seem to be getting. And, and again, we're not only saying seller finance partners are 
geriatrics. <laughs> I feel like we're painting that that picture right now. But I was like, yeah, no, I totally get why you feel that way. Like, I totally understand why you feel that way. So it's like, you have to listen to them and get what they feel and then kind of flip the script. Okay, well, you don't like that. Well, you worked so hard to pay this off. Now, do you want to give 20% of it to Uncle Sam tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Literally, if I buy this house tomorrow, you're going to have to save that money and give it to them. So, and then, you know, their wheels start turning and they go, no, we don't want to do that. Explain how we can get away from that. So it's really, it's really listening. It's really, I mean, seller finance, you can call it sales finance, you know, with a bank, you don't really... I would say a DSCR loan, you've kind of uh, need to convince the bank of the property's potential sometimes. But really, other than that, like you're never going to have to, you just show a bank your tax returns and you can get conventional financing. With seller's finance, you're selling, you're selling them. They're not, just, <laughs> it's seller finance from them, but you're selling them on it, which is funny, I guess. I don't, I don't mean to do all these play on words. But that, okay, that being said, Ryan, I guess my question for you, so we've talked about kind of that old, old guy, who else is someone where a sell seller finance can be advantageous for them as a seller? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, even, even people that are, let's say mid thirties, forties that have a lot of rental properties, it could be that the seller finance note is the best investment that they have right now. When I first got started in real estate. It seemed pretty pretty apparent that if you're dealing with long-term rentals, a multifamily, you're typically getting about, I would say, 9 to 10% cash-on-cash cash return on your money. And short-term rentals were about 20%, 20-25%, give or take. Now, with high interest rates and overall, you could call it market saturation, you could call it whatever you want, but short-term rental gross revenue is down compared to how many active listings. So that being said, I would say that a typical cash on cash that you're seeing in the long-term rental space right now is about 7%, 6 to 7%. And hell, you're lucky right now if you could buy a short-term rental with regular financing and get higher than a 15% cash on cash. I mean, I would I would so, argue that you're hardly seeing a long-term rental that cash flows at all. Well, that too. Uh, yeah, unless you're like doing a hundred grand house in like bumble crap Midwest, which so, I'm I'm from Bumblecraft, so I'm not, no shots on that. <laughs> but uh, So it could be that seller financing is actually your best return on your money because like, let's say I sell a property and I, and I have $100,000 that hits my bank account. Again, I'm going to be taxed on it. Boom, there's 20% gone. Now I only have 80. And that 80 is going to be eaten away by inflation. When instead, I'm leaving that 100 in, right? It's not getting taxed. Well, it is getting taxed over, over the period of the loan. We're not saying it's not going to get taxed, but I'm letting that money work for me. And maybe that 6% interest rate that I get as a seller is better than me going to bootstrap another short-term rental just to get 12 or 13%. Because that 6% difference between what I'm getting on the note and what I could get operating a short-term rental, you know, that, that may not be worth my time to do it. But I could just sit back and collect a check from the new, the, the new owner. And what we haven't mentioned before is the whole safety blanket and the whole seller financing thing is the seller can come and take the property back. So your safeguard to seller financing, and you see this a lot with like old people and the example we used earlier is if the new buyer, the new borrower, buyer borrower using the same thing comes in and they don't pay you back, like you have the right to come and take the property back. Which I mean, hopefully you're not, you're not Having going into the deal 
like with the intention of not paying them back let's we definitely want to enter deals like knowing that we're gonna we're gonna pay the pay the monthly the mortgage so to speak but i mean there's a reason that banks do this you know people say oh why would i ever do seller finance well why do banks why do banks give you loans obviously they've been doing it for a long time there's definitely something in it for them so and it's the same for you i mean you get paid monthly and then if yeah if the if the borrower goes into default or goes into how am i blanking on this word right now what's delinquent delinquent yeah delinquency foreclosure then you get it back you get the house back obviously you shouldn't anticipate that but it does happen and going into this uncertain climate like you know we haven't really seen delinquencies pick up yet a lot of people have a lot of equity in their house people are sitting on huge gains so that being said we're not seeing delinquencies across the board, but tying it back. So there's advantages for sellers. What are the advantages for a buyer? Yeah, I would say the first one that stands out the most as an advantage of the buyer is I'm taking advantage of that of inflation right now, because if I can borrow money in a seller finance deal and get a 5% note when interest rates are nine percent and inflation's running rampant i'm literally making money just off owning the debt and that's what i explain to a lot of clients now is you're buying properties just because of the underlying debt like if i can assume a loan or if i can get a loan for five percent when the average loan right now is eight percent eight and a half percent like you're making a spread on that inflation and that difference and so that what i would say is number one thing for the buyer is is just getting getting into real estate at super low rates because the appreciation, that's another important part about real estate is the property is going to appreciate in value, whether you put 10% down, 100% down, 5% down, and, and the property doesn't care what your outstanding low balance is either. It's still going to, nobody cares about that. The property is going to appreciate based on the market conditions surrounding it. So if I can get in for a low entry cost using seller financing and my debt service is also small, I'm winning that way. I would say another advantage is it doesn't show up on my credit because the seller financing is a transaction between the borrower and the seller. But if I'm doing seller financing, you know, that doesn't show up there. So I can, I can buy a house with a low W2. We just coached somebody in the, in our program, right? Who, you know, it's not probably going to qualify using conventional financing. So what is her, what is her best option to get into real estate besides maybe during arbitrage or co-estate. If she wants to own, it's got to be through seller finance. Yeah. So I would say those are, those are two big things there is I could just buy debt for super cheap. And like this one deal, we're going to assume a $3 million SBA loan that's at four and a half percent, which we'll get into in the next podcast. Maybe yeah. that'll be down the road. Yeah, we're going but... to save some gems for the next one, guys, because there's yeah. so, so much we can talk about here that we thought it would be better to have it over two versus try to like squeeze everything into one. Uh, you haven't told me about that deal. So I'm, I'm personally excited to, to learn about that one. But yeah, so for some people might be the only option. You might not have the debt to income to buy for other people. It might just be simple equation. If I can get debt at 5% versus debt at 8%, that's a 3% spread right there. Yep. Uh, Like, the thing is, it, it might, it's different for everybody. I mean, I know right now, like I'm presenting 
multiple, and this is actually something Ryan suggested uh, when we were talking on, on our, our group call, but present multiple offers to, to people and just tell them, honestly, it's a good time. You can just tell the agent, tell the seller because of this, because of interest rates, I have to present it this way. I can either give you, like, I literally did this two hours ago. I set out, we will give you 450 K conventional, or we'll do 500 K seller finance, which do you prefer? Like, and we have to do this in order to make the numbers work. Just left it at that. And they get it. You know, everybody gets it. Real estate agents get it. Mortgage officers definitely get it. They're probably crying about it, but, but they get it. Sellers who have had their property on the market for three months when a year ago, they would have put their property on the market and would have been sold in three minutes. They get it. They want to sell their house. They've got to move. They don't want to, they don't want to sell their house for less than what they bought it for, which is in some cases across the country, we're seeing that. And we're going to get into subject two. That's one of the specific strategies that's really big now for folk who took on mortgages at 3% and you can assume their loan, but we're not going to get into that today. Again, we're going to save some save some of these gems for the next episode. But for those listening who want to make deal, they want to they want to buy property and maybe they're having a little bit of tough time making the numbers perfectly work at 8%. How would you go about finding folk, Ryan? How would you how would you find uh, folk who would be interested in selling their house and seller financing the acquisition? Yeah, so I think we had thrown out there before maybe not on the podcast, but like a, a prop stream or a prop wire service that could tell you the type of loan that, or, or the balance that somebody has on their property. And the phone uh, number of the seller. And the phone number of the seller. Although I will say for personal experience, it is not always a hundred percent accurate, but that's, that's one disclaimer, of the ways you can, can do it. You might end up calling and getting Ron John on the line. He's not too happy with you, but uh 20, 50% chance you get the right person. Yeah. And, but uh, going back to the county records thing, I can see how long somebody's owned the property for, and I can make assumptions. You know, I may not be right because they might have refinanced their loan or something like that. But I at least will know how long somebody's owned it for, and then I can kind of tell what their equity stake looks like in that in that example. Like, also, you're starting to see in a lot of listings that people are just putting in the listing now open to seller financing, mm-hmm. and I and I believe. MLS even allows you to search based off that now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think I think when I showed it, I just literally searched like you, I put in Zillow and I just put the the search as seller finance. And it's funny, I was like in different places, it's more and more prevalent. Like we were looking at Austin, Texas. Essentially, a lot of places yeah. where home values were higher two years ago than they are now are like prime places for seller finance for a different reason. And, and why is that? Property taxes. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Pr- property taxes. Well, that could be also, one. Yeah. But also if you think about it, like, you know, maybe someone bought a home, an FHA loan for a million dollar house and they put th- 35 grand down. Now, you know, they still, they owe that, they owe the debt. So they need to pay back their debt. Like they have a loan and they need to pay back their loan. So if they sell the house for less than what they bought it for, how are they going to pay it back? You know? Yeah. Whereas if you you know do a six percent loan versus the three percent loan that you got before, you know you bought you got a house at a three percent. Now you're charging the buyer six percent. You're gonna have enough money to coming in to not only pay back the loan that you have, but you're also gonna be profiting uh, every month. 
So I don't know. There, it, it, we're in an interesting world, guys. There's a, there's a lot of going on. And right now, it's just this is the prime opportunity for seller finance. Uh, there has never been more tailwinds in its favor. And because of that, Ryan and I are going to we're going to hop on not just this time, but we're going to hop on next time as well. And we're going to talk about, again, more specific examples and how you can like really go out and attack the market to get this ideal outcome uh, and deals for your to grow your portfolio. Ryan, any any uh, takeaways or just things that you think folk who w are curious about seller finance, but not sure where to start, what what they should be doing? Yeah, I would say when I first learned about seller financing, it was it was normally from from a buyer's position of of like how can I invest in these properties for cheapest possible, keep it off my credit, et cetera. But when you really understand why a seller should actually sell to you creatively, it op it opens up a whole another portal and a whole another tool in your toolbox to be able to get a deal done. Because like you said, you presented uh, multiple offers, so. If you, if somebody has three offer, if somebody presents you with three offers, they're more likely to sell that property to you, picking one of those options than they are to go somewhere else. It, it's just principle. It's like this guy has it figured out. You know, he's offering me conventional, he's offering me seller financing. He's got this option, and so I think a lot of people see seller financing in the terms of as a buyer, like how quickly can I get into a property? But taking the time to understand and convince a seller why this is their actual best option to get rid of this property because of two things primarily, you know, again, we said taxes and inflation, two, two major reasons why a seller should sell, uh, using seller financing. Exactly. So essentially don't think about things in your shoes, but think about things in their shoes. And I mean, this just goes for sales in general. So if you're a sales professional, this should become second nature. If you're not, this is going to be an opportunity for you to upgrade uh, your sales positions. And, and people do make a lot of money finding seller finance deals. Like people, like right now, I mean, you could call it wholesaling because that's technically what it is. But there are folk out there who are just targeting people and like essentially they're finding these opportunities and they're finding investors and they're they're getting a finder's fee of you know sometimes five ten thousand dollars for locating these opportunities. So another interesting thing, you know, to think about, but yeah, Ryan, yeah. What, what are some things we can also expect on our, our next call from you? Yeah, we're going to really dive into both a little bit more from the buyer side, why you should buy using seller financing and how can you, what are some of the tactics and talks that you can present to a seller and get them to actually sell the property to you using seller financing? And then we're going to get into the world of subject two later down the road. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the tax implications of both selling using seller financing as well as buying with seller financing as well. Beautiful guys. Well, stay tuned until next week. As always, Ryan, thank you so much for joining and come on guys. Next week's going to be a lot of fun. So, so uh, save this pod, give it a five stars, give it a follow. So, and we're going to run it back. Ryan, catch you later, brother. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Short-Term Rental Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, leave us a five-star rating, like, comment, and share this with someone you know that wants to invest in short-term rentals.